To say I'd had something that I'd been carrying around for a while is a little bit of an exaggeration. I had about 5% of an idea. Um, we'll see what happens. I've been thinking about healing as well, and strangely enough, here we have yet another Sunday when the person who was supposed to be speaking about healing is not well enough to speak about healing. So, thank you, Father. And I, I was thinking about healing in the act after Jesus had, had gone. And I, you'll need to forgive me for a few things this morning. One of the things that you'll probably need to forgive me for this morning is the question, what if? What if things had been a bit different? And so I have, I'm going to take a few liberties, at least with um, the, the reading of Scripture right now. So I'm saying that right at the beginning so that um, you know you need to not worry about it too much. I will get to where I'm going. But um, this is the story of uh, Peter and John uh, going to pray in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Peter and John had often seen him and he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently and then looked at each other and said, well, we haven't got any money, but we've got some friends and they probably have got some money. So we'll go and ask them. And, and because we're a really caring community, we will come back regularly and make sure you've got enough money and food and help. They went away, and a little bit later on, they looked at each other and said, do you think we should have prayed for him? <laughs> Peter, who was usually quite quick to jump into these things, was a little uncertain and said to John, well, it's been a while since I've seen anybody healed dramatically like that. And, and, and maybe you know, the fact that we haven't taught on it recently would be one of the, the things that we ought to brush up on. So let's decide that we're going to teach about this a little bit later on in the program. And they thought that was a good idea, and then they moved off. Acts chapter 9, this is a story about Peter. Uh, meanwhile, Peter travelled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who'd been paralysed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your sleeping mat. And Aeneas felt a little bit better. So Peter said, hey, that's great, Aeneas. Um, maybe we'll come back another day and, and pray for you again. Meanwhile, somebody who lived in a town just 10 miles away um, was quite unwell. And the believers said, should we go and ask Peter? Well... Peter's a bit off the boil with healing at the moment, so maybe we can find somebody else. And so they didn't send anybody. Acts 20. This is the story of a guy called Eutychus. On the first day of the week, we, that's all the believers, gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps, as Paul spoke on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. That's a problem, thought Paul. 
as he looked out of the window. All the other leaders of the church had quite often spoken to Paul about not talking too long. (laughs) Because a number of people had fallen asleep before, but never in a third floor window. They kept Paul well out of it and went to deal with the situation. There was a lot of paperwork, as you might imagine. And Paul wasn't asked back to speak for quite some time. Eventually, when he was asked, he was kept on the ground floor. That obviously isn't the way that it worked out. And if we read stories in a version of Scripture like that, say a new version came out and we read that, then people would be very suspicious, and rightly so. Because what we see in Acts is the power of God working through the believers in the same way that we had through Jesus. So the question occurred to me, what was it about these believers, Paul and Peter and the rest of them? Because there are many stories. Some of them are healing stories. Some of them are miraculous stories of of other things going on. What was it about them? And I I came up with, with this idea. They were unreasonable people and they had annoying habits. I've been told that I have some annoying habits. I'm really sorry about that. And the people that I work closely with, they probably see those annoying habits more often than than others. But these people had some annoying habits, and I wonder if there's something for us to learn from their annoying habits. First habit. They live by God's word. Now let me just qualify this a little bit. We can, we can consume God's word. We can live by God's word. But we, sometimes we only emphasize the bits that we like. Here's an example. This is from the, the time when Jesus was having a conversation with Peter. Uh, Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you pleased. But one day when you're old, and remember Peter's still a young man at this point. Others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go. And you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Now, if you're not aware of this, tradition has it that Peter was crucified and that because He didn't consider himself worthy to die in the same way that Jesus. He asked to be crucified upside down. And tradition has it that he was. We can't verify that story, but whether there's any truth in it or not, this prophecy here from Jesus to Peter as a young man is basically saying, When you're older, things are not going to go well for you. And then, as soon as Jesus has said that, he says, now follow me. Peter had a choice. He didn't have to follow Jesus at that point. But he was the one earlier on who said, Lord, you've got the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? In our church circles, we we love encouraging words. I love encouraging words. I love to encourage people. I just want people to go out 
of our meetings and any other meeting 10 feet higher than when they, they came in. And that's great. Our worship is geared that way. Our, our speaking, by and large, is, is geared that way. But we cannot get away from the fact that some of the things that Jesus says to us are hard. I think unreasonable people embrace those. When I say they live by God's word, this is what I mean. When God speaks something, it's the essence of God. It's not just a message, it's God himself. We, we looked at this quite a lot when we were looking at the Bible in a, a bigger way last year. And so when we hear something, and whether it comes because we've been reading scripture or whether we hear something in some other way that resonates with us in the same way, it may not be that encouraging. Or it may be that there are things contained within it that have implications we don't know about. Give an example. And this, I think, happens particularly with something either that comes prophetically or something you read in Scripture that hits you with a particular relevance. And there will be aspects of it which you'll go, yay, yippee, I'm all for that God. That's a great word, amen, all that kind of thing. But at the same time, there may be aspects within it and challenges within it that we don't recognize. And if we're going to live by the word that God has spoken, we have to accept that. In fact, I would say that if you are living by something God has said to you, I can guarantee there will be things within it that won't be pleasant. Because he's working on our character continually. The thing that you notice about these New Testament characters is they did not pull back from pressure. Paul did not pull back from pressure. Peter did not pull back from pressure. Stephen and James and others... They didn't pull back. They simply walked into it trusting the Word, the Word who is the Word of God, but also the Word of God as it came to them, however it came. And in, in those days, of course, they didn't have the, the New Testament. They had, they had Paul's letters. They had other letters that were circulating. They had the Old Testament scriptures. But the New Testament hadn't been formed. These days, we have a very different approach. We have a whole load of stuff available to us. How much do we grasp that? When God says something to you that's really personal, that you know, that's for me. There's something in that that's personal from God for me. How much do you latch on to that? Are you somebody who would take that really seriously and say, I know that's God. I know that's God, and I know that's really important to me. And that has the direction for this period of my life. Some people talk about having a word over your life. I don't want to overemphasize that whole idea, but I do want to say I think there's something in it. I think there's something where God places an emphasis in our lives that becomes more important than other emphases. That becomes the thing that it's like a golden thread that will pull you through all the different circumstances of life. And you might, you might therefore say, I'm going to remind myself constantly of that. I'm not going to allow anything to distract me from that. 
whatever it is, whether it's a calling to go somewhere or a group of people or a particular ministry or area of, of work. Maybe it's something within your business that God's spoken. Maybe it's something within your family that God has spoken. And it gets hold of you in such a way that you will not let go of it. And you even go to the lengths of putting up a reminder around the, your house or, or something. So that every time you walk past it, you remind yourself. I have a particular, I have a particular word like this uh, for me. And it, it has gripped me so much. And I was in... I never go into charity shops. I went into a charity shop for some reason. I have no idea why. I just... I don't hate them because I don't expose myself to them, so I don't have to hate them. But I went into this charity shop, and there was a huge map of Europe. It's a massive, great, heavy thing, and it was, it was framed, and it was quite a posh charity shop. It was upmarket charity stuff. Uh, but I bought it for a fiver, uh, which I thought was pretty good. And uh, I took it home, and it hangs on the wall on the stairs in my home, and every time I go upstairs... Not quite every time, but almost every time I go upstairs, I stop and I look and I pray. It's there. It reminds me. I am reinforcing in here the word that I know God has spoken to me. What's God spoken to you? What are you living for? What are you pursuing? We don't join a club when we become Christians. We get inhabited by the word of God. It grips us. It possesses us. What's possessing you? And what are you pursuing? First habit of unreasonable people. The second unreasonable habit, a uh, second annoying habit, I think, of unreasonable people is they have a strong sense of purpose. Really strong sense of purpose. They are... I don't think I would like to have worked with Paul or Peter. I would have been impressed by them. I would like to have heard them speak at times. Whether I would have wanted them on the same team as me, I don't know. I think their intensity might have been a bit too much. I think Paul, I, I, I love Paul. I'm not one of these uh, people that thinks Paul was, was a nasty person and didn't like this group and that group and the other group. I've never felt that about him. But I do think he would have been very intense. And I think once he got hold of something, uh, he'd have been quite difficult to dissuade from that point of view. So to lead a team, uh, that's probably why Paul and uh, Peter and the others didn't lead teams. And they had people that we don't know quite so much about who led teams because they were much better at leading the team and holding the team together. And I would imagine, James used to lead the apostles, I can imagine him sitting there going, Oh, Jesus, why didn't you ask somebody else to, to take this, this job on? Have you seen what these people are like? And you can imagine the conversation going on between him and say, yeah, actually, I've, I've seen them. Strangely enough, I made them that way. Isn't that great? And James going, yes, Lord, that's great. Thank you so much. Here's Paul. I admit I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Paul was pursuing something. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one 
compelling focus. I forget all of the far past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. This is Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, perhaps. I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Here's a purpose that he knows he's called to fulfill, but he doesn't know what it is. How can he discover it if he already knows what it is? We all have a purpose that we're called to fulfill, but we don't know what it is. So how do we discover what it is? We pursue it. We pursue something and we don't know what it is. Go back to this whole healing malarkey. The reason that we've spent some time looking at it is because we're pursuing it. We're pursuing it. We want to see more healing in our city. We want to see it here in City Church. We want to see it in our broader community. But we want to see it in our city. We're pursuing something. I imagine that that seeing more healing looks like fewer people being sick. I imagine that's what it looks like. But I don't know what it looks like for me. And I don't know what it looks like for you. The question is, will we pursue it? You see, these passages I read earlier, what was strange about them from our point of view is that the outcomes sounded as though the people involved, the protagonists, as it were, didn't want to see the answers. We make quite a lot about the time, the one time when Jesus appears to pray for somebody twice, and that's great because it's very encouraging to know that. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to happen in Acts. They seem to be doing greater things than, than Jesus did. They, uh, they took a, a handkerchief from Paul, and it wasn't a handkerchief he'd been sneezing into. It was probably, it was probably a, a work cloth that he'd been wiping his brow with from his tent making or something and they laid that on sick people so they took this horrible germ infested cloth they put it on sick people and they got better I mean, we did that in the, the leadership the other week, did we tell you the story? can't remember if we told you the story I think might, might have told some of you, I'll tell you again anyway for those that missed it, it's just Chris Chris was unwell again, he doesn't make a habit of it but he was not able to be with us, Patsy was with us and we were praying and praying generally and we prayed for Chris as well and we thought, let's, let's pray. For, Patsy was wearing a scarf. Patsy, take your scarf off. Let's pray over the scarf. We, we don't normally do it. We're strange, but we're not quite that strange. We don't, I don't remember us doing it before, but we did it, and we prayed for it, and we said to Patsy, let us know how it goes. Well, apparently, she took the, the scarf home, put it over Chris, prayed for him, and he was, oh, it was his back that was really bad. That's what it was. Yeah, he couldn't move. He wasn't sick. He, he had a, he'd really ricked his back. Woke up the next morning, he was fine. I don't know whether it was anything to do with the cloth at all. I have no idea. I wouldn't even claim it was because we did that. All I know is he went to bed, not able to move. We prayed for him. He got up the next morning and he was able to move. That will do for me. That, it certainly did for Chris and it will do for me. We're pursuing a purpose that we don't know what it is. So we can't see it, kind of. But faith is the evidence of things not seen. You have to have some evidence that there's something to go after. Are you pursuing something in your life? 
Or are you just kicking back and just saying, no, I, I'm all right, thanks God. I'm all right, I'm comfortable. And that work's ticking over, family's ticking over, everything's ticking, church is ticking over. Well, it's ticking. Uh, everything's kind of okay. I want to look at this very quickly as well. I don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but I, I think there's something in this. Let me read it to you. This is from, oh, I'm sorry, it's from Revelation 2. Um, it's Jesus speaking to the churches. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I'll give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name uh, that no one understands except the one who receives it. This passage is from Revelation. Revelation is full of symbols. I'm not even sure this passage applies to us now. I haven't, I haven't finally come to a conclusion about that. I don't feel I need to, really. So I'm not trying to apply something in the present that's actually intended for the future. But it does talk about something set aside for us. That means it's already prepared. It talks about the manna from heaven. That's not talking about physical food. That's talking about the food of feeding on the word of God. That's what I think that's talking about there. So don't worry. When you turn up in heaven, it's not going to be manna morning, noon, and night. No. Manna pancakes, manna burgers, manna fritters, um, and gluten-free manna and everything else. So it talks about that, but it also talks about a white stone. And on the white stone is a name, and the name is known only to God. Names are important because they denote identity. Most of you will realize this. Names in Scripture are important. They have meaning, and that meaning was related to the identity, and therefore the purpose of the person. So here is a situation where it sounds as though the person who overcomes gets given this intimate identity between them and God. Now my point is this. I think that's already prepared. I think that's a process that's going on already. If it's intimate, you're the only person that's going to know it. Your wife won't know it. Your husband won't know it. Your son or daughter won't know it. Your best friend won't know it. And you have to discover it. But if God has given you an identity, what if that identity is to accomplish the most unimaginably wonderful and amazing things on the earth and it's just sitting waiting for you to discover? And the only thing that has prevented that from happening so far is that your intention to discover it has not been unreasonable enough. You have not pursued it to the exclusion of other things I can only speak personally about this it's a conviction I, I think this is true it's not, it's not something I would want to make as a major pillar of, of life and godliness for the next 30 years I just think there's something really important and there are lots and lots of other clues in, in the New Testament as far as I can see something really important in the interaction very deeply and personally that goes on between you and I and I think that's what happened to these guys in Acts. I think it's what happened to them. I think that's why they were able to do the extraordinary things that they did. And I think if we look through church history since then, 
at the extraordinary things that they've been happening, I think it's been the same. You know, we hear a lot about the heroes of faith and the people that did great things. I think there was just something that went on in the relationship between them and God that somehow unlocked all of this. I don't feel that we, we somehow have to look for great names to, to exalt people and make a lot of an individual here or there. But I, I do believe it's time in God's desire for us to, as his people, discover more of our identity and more of what he has laid aside. I think this pursuit of healing and other things of hundreds and thousands of people coming to know him in the first place, of people being set free, of people moving forward in the purpose that God has given them within education or family life or healthcare or entertainment or media or whatever it might be, I think there's a lot of that locked up in us. And by us, I mean us and I mean the church. What gives us our sense of purpose? Last annoying habit. Unreasonable people have nothing more to prove and nothing left to fear. This is from the incident after what turned out to be the miraculous healing at the beginning of Acts. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. At that moment, the earth shook beneath them, causing the building they were in to tremble. Wouldn't that have caused some paperwork? Each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. As I was preparing this yesterday, I had to ask myself, would I pray that prayer? I couldn't answer the question, to be honest. I really couldn't answer the question. I mean, I... Yeah, I'd say, yeah, of course I would, Lord. Yeah, me, I'd just pray anything. Just go for it. But I thought about the context they were in. I looked at what had just happened to them. I looked at what was happening around them. And I tried to ask myself, would I honestly, in that context, pray that prayer? And I don't know. Well, I was younger, some younger people over there, people under, even under 30. Well done, well done for being under 30. Don't worry about those of you who aren't under 30. Well done to you as well, because you've survived. But when I was that age, I went to a lot of meetings where there were, uh, there were preachers who just asked us to commit everything and, you know, will you go anywhere and do anything? And of course I would. I would, because I wasn't married. I didn't have any responsibilities. I didn't have a house. I didn't have any children. I didn't have any anything. So I said, yeah, of course I will, Lord. I am up for anything. A few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I felt the Lord ask me the same question. <laughs> it took me a long time to answer. I'm serious. I, I knew he was really asking me. I knew the second time the Lord asked me this question, it was a serious question. And I couldn't just go, yep, of course I am, Lord. I said it back then, 30 years ago. I can say it now. I had to go away and think about it. And I did go away and think about it. And I came back and said yes. And to be honest, the last 10 years have had their ups and downs. But I said yes. I think I'd moved on. I think I have fewer things to prove now than I used to have. I used to have a lot to prove. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not 
driven by that. I don't think I'm as driven as I was. I have less to fear. To be honest, the worst thing that could happen, happened. So I have less, I have less to fear. And it's immensely freeing when you realise that you have nothing to prove and nothing to fear because you don't mind doing stuff that doesn't work. So I don't, I don't pray for anybody because I don't... I want everybody to be healed. You all know that. But if they don't, I just think, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> I did my best. I did, I did my best, and I'll, and I'll try again another time. It's not going to put me off. I know that's changed in me, but it's not just in that. It's in other things. And some of the stuff that I, I do these days, I, I just think, okay, well, I've got nothing to prove. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does work, well, great. These guys were like that. They were a whole community like that. They lived like that. They had a word they were pursuing, they knew what their identity was, and they had nothing left to prove or to fear. And I think that's where we need to be moving toward. Some of us, we followed the Lord a long time, and we've been on a journey with him, but there's a lot further to go. Some of us are right at the start of that journey. The good news is, there's a long way to go. I don't have any particular response planned But you might want to respond. You might want to, in the process of singing this song, say, Father, I want want to do some business with you. I want to do some kind of transaction with you. I want to take hold of something. I want to recognize something. And of course, if there is anybody who would like prayer for any reason, then find somebody who you would like to pray with you or come to the front and we will find somebody and we will pray with you for whatever you would like us to pray for.